0: So we're, we're continuing in this series entitled One Another. It, this term is used about a hundred times in the New Testament, and half of those times are, are, it's used as like a direct instruction to believers in Jesus. And um, we've got all of them from, like, I, I've listed a bunch of them. Love one another, encourage one another, restore one another, accept one another, honor one another, submit to one another, forgive one another, um, carry one another's burdens, pray for one another. There's all kinds of one another's. We can keep going on and on and on. Essentially, God is saying to us in all of these one another's, whatever I do for you, you do for one another. So if 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 God has loved you, then, then love one another. If God has encouraged you, then encourage one another. If he's forgiven you, then forgive one another. And as we journey through this sermon series... Um, A lot of times we'll we'll journey through a book of the Bible or uh, we'll we'll pick a topical sermon series. And I just want you to know, and I've said this each week as we've been going through it, and it's become more and more real to me as we've gone through it, that this is really culture-defining for us here at New Life. And what what do I mean by that? Uh, One of our core values is that uh, we're building a church like Family. And for some of us in here, you know, maybe you just came off of a, a family reunion. You're like, I really don't want a church that looks like my family right uh, that, that sounds a little uh, dysfunctional or awkward, and, and that's not I don't want that at what I had in my family reunion every week here at New Life, but as we go through and talk about all of these one another's, it really starts to define for us and to paint a picture of what a church-like family should look like and um, so I just I, I, I say that as. as because I want you to really grasp and to understand the, uh, the immensity of this series as we go through it, as it talks about one of our core values and moving forward in that. Um, one, as, I was, as I was preparing this week, I was realizing, you know, one of, the, one of the things that we're losing in our American culture is this ability to be in the moment that we're in with the people that we're with. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, we're very distracted. We're very distracted people. We've got a whole lot of things, and, and I don't mean to, like, harp on, on, um, on technology. Technology isn't necessarily the problem, but it is certainly a symptom of the problem that we face um, in, in our world today when it comes to relationships. I was looking up some, some uh, statistics. The first one is this. The average person checks their cell phone 110 times a day. That's a lot. And that's average, which means that some of us check it much more than that, 110 times a day. Uh, 50% of people feel uneasy when they leave their phones at home. Uh, If you've ever gone to work or left for the day and and realized, oh no, I left my, my cell phone at home, some of us wouldn't go back if we accidentally left our lunch at home, but we would turn around and go back to our house to get our cell phone, wouldn't we, for the day. Um, the other one is just interesting. Is 50% of teens admit that they're addicted to their phones? 50% of teens admit, just yep, I got a problem. Right, uh, I don't care about my problem, but I got a problem. Right, this is a, this is an issue with me, and we've all been in those conversations where you're sitting across from someone, a loved one, maybe at a house or in your own home. You're you're talking and having a conversation with someone, and all of a sudden you're interrupted by pushing this like it seems like in our in our culture today we put this like imaginary pause button, and uh, we all of a sudden pick up our phone and then have like a two minute texting conversation with somebody. Like, oh, hold on, just one second. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so anyway, and you're like, what, what was that, right? Like, we, we were very distracted, even when we're, when we're right in front of people that we, that we love and care about, and so today, we're going to be talking about biblical compassion, and the one another is be compassionate to one another, and if I were to kind of boil this whole thing down, it is this, this I believe, a call of God on us as Christ followers to be in the moment that we are in with the people that we are with and to be wholeheartedly there. It, it, it sounds weird, but it, like if, I, if I'm really talking about the heart of God when, it, when we talk about compassion, it is this idea to be focused, to be in the moment that we're in with the people that we're with and be wholeheartedly there, not where we're going to be, not with all the conversations that we're trying to keep juggling, to keep going that gives us meaning and purpose, but with to be in the moment that we're in with the people that we're with so I want to read in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read two, two different portions of Scripture today. Um, if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, why don't you stand up as we honor the reading of God's Word. That's what we do around here. So um, I got some things to say, but more than anything, how, how many of you know the Word of God has, has much more immensity, much more significance than anything that I would say? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22. We're going to get down to it at the, at the bottom, talking about compassion, but I think it's important for us to read it in context. Ephesians 4, verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. And then verse 32, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. And then in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, just one verse I want to read. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you. There's this idea that you continually communicate to us that we are supposed to put on and to clothe ourselves, almost like an article of clothing, compassion. Jesus, I pray that you would reveal to us today what true biblical compassion looks like, what it doesn't look like. I pray that we would start to walk and see people the way that you see them. God, I pray that uh, we wouldn't leave this place unchanged by the power of your Holy Spirit. Change us, change our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So this word, this word compassion, we we throw it around and um, there's a lot of synonyms that we would use interchangeably. We would use words like pity and and empathy and sympathy and compassion, as if they kind of very similar and they, and they, they are in many ways similar. So what does this word compassion mean? Well, the Latin word means this, to suffer with another person. To suffer with another person. There's an old um, definition from Webster's Dictionary. One of the first definitions is this, painful sympathy. Painful sympathy. It's this idea that there is a sympathy that will cause you pain and suffering as if you were sharing in someone else's pain, as if you were sharing in someone else's suffering with them. Now, like, I don't know about you, but like, as I read this, and even as I was studying this week, I'm like, that doesn't sound healthy. Like, I think that my counselor would probably tell me that sounds a little bit like codependence. Like, that, uh, like, uh, I, I I don't necessarily think that that would be what anybody would tell you yes you need to get down deep and dirty and go through the pain and suffering with somebody else like and the problem that I have as I just process through this myself is like I don't like my own pain and suffering and I I I don't want your pain and suffering too Like, I got enough on my own. So, like, how about you do you, I'll do me, you take your pain and suffering, and I'll take mine, and we'll both take our lumps, and then we'll just kind of, like, keep going in the love of God, right? Like, so, here's the thing. If compassion is me signing up for your suffering, then count me out. I got enough on my own. Like, if you want some of mine, I'll give it to you. Like, we could sit down, and I could, I could, you could, you could take on some of that. But for me, that that sounds like dysfunction. Why? Because we all know people, nobody in here, but we all know people in our lives that are so into other people's business, that are so into other people's rejection, so into other people's offenses, so into other people's stuff and stories that it is unhealthy, right? Right? They just take on other people's pain and suffering as their own. And you look at them and you're like, if that's compassion, I want nothing to do with it. Uh, Just keep me away from the stuff. Because it doesn't sound like anything that God would even want me to do. I it sounds dysfunctional. And so if you're struggling with this, I want to make a distinction for you. And that might help you in understanding it's this. There is a difference between pity and compassion. Now, let, me, let me lay out a few things for you to help you understand what it is that we're talking about when we talk about biblical compassion. Pity feels bad about a problem. Compassion looks for a way out. Those, those are two very different things. Pity can look like enabling. Compassion looks like empowering. Pity will, will pat you on the head and tell you it's gonna be okay. But, but compassion will punch you in the arm. Or in the face if you need it, right? It, 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 it's, it's a very different. Pity will sit with you in the mud, but compassion isn't afraid to get their hands dirty, but they're going to be pulling you out of it, not sitting there in there with you. Compassion is something that groans on the inside of us that says things are not as though they should. There's something wrong here. Compassion looks beyond our own problems and sees the problems of other people. It is gritty, Compassion is gritty, it is determined, and it is passionate. That, that's, that's really what we're talking about when we talk about compassion, and more than anything, and I, and, I, and I want you to see this. The Lord revealed something to me this week, that compassion is supernatural. When, when we are moved by compassion, it releases the power of God in other people's lives. And I want you to see this, and I'm going to show you this in the Old Testament. I'm going to show you this through the life of Jesus, this idea, this reality that that when we're moved by compassion, we open up and release the opportunity for the hand of God to be released in other people's life. In other words, this, I want you to catch this, biblical compassion is the pathway for miracles, and don't, don't, don't mistake me. So I think sometimes, especially in churches like ours, we seek after you know, signs or wonders or miracles or gifts of the Spirit. We wanna see God move in power. And, and what I'm saying is, I wonder sometimes, are we looking for the wrong thing? Should we be asking for compassion? And out of that, it is the pathway for miracles. It does say, signs will follow them who believe. I believe signs will follow them who have compassion and the love of God on the inside of them. It is the pathway to miracles. So let me show you in Isaiah chapter 35. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up here on the screens. Isaiah 35, and I want you to capture this. This is like a prophetic um, word for us in the book of Isaiah. Verse 3. It says, Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Now let me pause here for a second before we move on. What, 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 what did it just say? It said, so when, when we strengthen the weak, when we give courage to the fearful, when we remind people who their savior is, when we don't feel, just feel sorry for people, but we try to pull them up, when we do compassion, Verse 5, the first word. Then, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So what just happened here? I want you to catch this. The supernatural move of God is realized once the family of God moves in community. The supernatural move of God happens once the family of God moves in compassion. This is a scripture that is like a prophecy of the family of God that is possessed with the knowledge of the heart of God. And we start to see when they move in compassion towards one another, then miracles start happening. As they do what only they can do, God does what only He can do. So if you want God to move in the miraculous in your life, allow yourself to be moved by compassion. Amen. It's true. It's true, and I'm not even getting started yet. It's like, honestly, as I was studying this week, it was like, it was like labor, and all the women in here are like, you got no idea, buddy, right? But it's this, it was like, just what's not coming, and I'm like, what in the... And so the Lord started revealing this to me and showing me the connection between compassion and the miraculous. I want to show you this as we, as we go down through it. Like God is so serious about this, about us moving and walking in compassion towards one another. In fact, the Bible says that, that moving in compassion is proof that God's love is in you. You know that? Let me read it for you in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. It says this, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion how can god's love be in that person it's very like it's kind of almost too simplistic for us this is essentially like if if you've got enough money to live well and you see see a need and you turn your head and you show no compassion how, how can God's love be in that person. As I was reading through this verse, I, I was remembering this verse in the King James Version. And uh, this, this version, uh, maybe if you grew up with a king, some of you maybe have a King James Bible, like kudos to you because reading the Bible is, is that much di- more difficult for you, right? To get through all the Fs and the old English and all of that. Um, there's, 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 a, there's a different translation that, uh, that they use just for this one verse that, uh, that I absolutely love, and I think it's a, it actually better defines biblical compassion for us. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, this is in the King James Version, not the New King James, the King James Version. It says this, you can read it. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother hath need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? I know there's a lot of like flowery language in here. Let me read it for you again. Essentially, it's the same as what we just read before. Like, but whoso, if you have the world's goods and seeth his brother hath need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion in him from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? <laughs> so what he's saying is let's just make this connection that withholding compassion from someone else is translated as shutting up your bowels of compassion it's just got a little weird didn't it like uh we were just talking about pain and suffering with other people and i wasn't a fan of that and now we're talking about the bowels like, what do my bowels have to do with compassion? I don't know about you. Like, it's okay to ask those questions because I, I wonder about that. Like, it doesn't really make sense to me. Like, my bowels of compassion. I want you to catch this. It's in your notes. It's as if God sees our withholding of compassion as spiritual constipation. If you're taking notes i actually had the blank be the word constipation for you you're welcome so you have to write it c-o-n-s-t-i-p-a-t-i-o-n constipation withholding withholding compassion to someone else is seen by god as spiritual constipation and what do i mean by that well it's like it's not natural like, how in the world can you say, like, I have received or ingested compassion from God, and yet it's not coming out of me? It doesn't make sense. Like, how can you say, yes, oh, I have compassion. I've, I've ingested, and yet it, it, it's, it shows nowhere else in my life. God looks at it. He's like, that doesn't make sense to me. How can you say that you have the love of God, and yet it doesn't come out of you to anyone else? It's very, very simple about how he looks at it. It's, it's it's kind of interesting, but it, essentially what he's saying, if, if you're a Christian and you're not compassionate or you're kind of a lone ranger, you're unwilling to get your hands dirty, you turn your head when there is a need and you don't want to, you know, you refuse to be uncomfortable, or, you know, to help somebody else, the Bible says there's something wrong with you. You're spiritually constipated. You've received something and yet it's not working out of you. <laughs> it'd go really well in a junior high uh, you know boys group Cause, and it gets it gets better it gets, it gets even better than this wait there's more if, if you've ever read the King James version of the Bible which maybe some of you grew up with it maybe you have one there is this word bowels all over the place it is like a heyday for middle school boys okay like it is everywhere like you just like I mean, I remember reading when I first got saved and I would, would just kind of skip over it and be like, that is so weird. Why are we talking about Jesus' bowels? Like, what is the world? What in the world? What does that even mean? So here's, here's let me give you some understanding. The, the current translations, you read the NIV or you know, I think in the New King James, they use the word heart. Heart in its place. But I, I have equal problem with that because I'm like, I don't... Well, when I first read, you know, oh, well, God is like moving in my heart. I'm like, like in my heart, like the beep, 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 beep. Like that is the place where God moves in my heart. It doesn't make much sense. We're like, no, 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 no. It's not your actual organ. It's just your chest. It's like, okay, why are we calling it my heart then? Because this is my heart and this is my heart. Like this isn't even biologically correct, right? So I have this problem and I would have to say that I agree with King James that it is a much better translation. And I want to show you this. I want to show you why. Um, The original Greek word that is used for moved with compassion is splaknitsomai. I want you to say it with me. So I'm going to say it one more time. Turn your listening ears on. Uh, Splaknitsomai. One more time. You did okay. Splaknitsomai. Yeah, like splaknitsomai, right? Splaknitsomai. This is what it means. It means that you feel something in your bowels, in your your guts. That's essentially what it means. So it's important for us to understand that the ancients believed that the core of your passions and the core of your emotions originated in in, in your bowels, in your your guts. And you're like, this is getting weirder. Like, here's the thing though, Think, think this through with me. It actually makes sense. Like, I don't, I don't feel things in, in my heart. I feel when I have intense emotions, when I feel something deeply, I feel it in my, in my gut, right? So if I have if I have anger, then then I my stomach turns. If I have fear, then I feel like I'm, like I'm going to throw up. Like if you experience love, you have those butterflies in your stomach. Like this, this whole idea of experiencing intense passion and emotion originating in our in our gut Splechnitzomai. it's kind of where we get this idea of this thing that we say where i just have a gut feeling about something and you know you say that i just got a gut feeling about something like there's something that rises up in me it's not with my head and it's certainly not with my heart but there's something that rises up in me that's splechnitzomai, the bowels of compassion I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, pay attention to your splechnitzomai. I'll give you time. I want you to say it. You got to work on it. Listen, this is going to be an unforgettable message. We're talking about guts and bowels today. Pay attention to your splechnitzomai. Pay attention to your splechnitzomai. So it's this whole idea of, uh, of just feeling something in our gut. And when your splechnitzomai starts acting up, here's what I want you to do realize that that is God rising up in you to be the hands and feet to another person. This whole idea that we, that we are moved, that God moves on the inside of us, that his heart of compassion for others rises up in us. And, and, I, and I would say that on the other side of our, of our obedience to that splachnitzomai is where God moves in the miraculous. When you feel a move Wow, when you feel a move on the inside of you, that should be a telltale sign that God is on the move, that he's wanting to move in and through you. So it goes beyond just um, you know, things that I, I ought to do this and, or that's the Christian thing to do, I should probably help someone or I should give or I should, I should pray for this person or whatever and it becomes this I can't help myself but to do this can't help myself but to but to say this to pray this to 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 meet this need whatever that looks like now here's what i want you to understand almost every time i started looking this this word up spleknitomai almost every time that jesus in the gospels it says that he was moved with compassion it's actually that word spleknitomai Every time that, that Jesus is like, you know, he sees people, he sees a sick person, and it says that he was moved with compassion, I want you to just see that in there. It's splechnitzomai. It, it's, it's almost like saying like his, his gut was wrenched. His heart was, was tore open. That's essentially what it means. And I want you to see this. Every time he was moved with compassion, every time he had splechnitzomai rise up in him, it was followed up by the Miraculous. It, it, it's absolutely amazing. The Lord started showing me this. I've never heard anyone really show, show or preach this before. But there's a direct correlation between his moved with compassion and moving in the miraculous. And can I tell you, Christian, when God moves on you, he's trying to tell you that he's up to something. Pay attention to it. Pay attention to it. Biblical compassion always has the heart of God in mind. Always. Always. And I think sometimes we're waiting for God to speak to us audibly when he is speaking to us in our gut throughout our days. When he rises up love for someone you don't even know. When he starts leading you to pray for someone you've never even met. When he starts putting something on your gut to move forward in. I want to encourage you to start moving in obedience to that. It comes out of God's heart for people. And I want you to see this, that, that uh, Jesus, all the times where he says, you know, and then he, uh, he's moved with compassion, and then, and then we see this miraculous sign. Um, compassion makes a difference. The first one is this, if you're taking notes. The first one is this, compassion heals the sick. Compassion heals the sick. Matthew chapter 20, verse 34, it says, Jesus had compassion on them. Catch what he does right after that. And he touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. Compassion is empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's almost as if Jesus felt compassion and then followed compassion to its goal. And I've been wondering this. I've been thinking about this all week. Like, What if, what if we did that? What if when we felt compassion, we chose to follow compassion to its goal? What would that look like? What would it look like if when God rose something up on the inside of you that you chose to walk in obedience to it? What if God is on the other side of your obedience? What if the lack of miracles in our life is attributed to the lack of compassion for others? I, I, mean, I think we all would like to see God move in the miraculous and signs and wonders and and what if God is just saying, I want you to start paying attention to to that thing that is rising up on the inside of you. Because that, I'm trying to speak to you. You know, listen, Jesus says time and time again, you know, I, I do what I see the Father doing. I wonder if what he's really trying to communicate to us is when compassion rises up on the inside of me, I know God's doing something and I start to follow it. I follow that. I follow that splaknitzomai as it rises up in me. I don't necessarily know what God's going to do, I, but I'm just going to start following this and respond to it because God's doing something here. I can't wait to see what God's going to do when I do what only I can do. Just as simple. And He shows up in the miraculous. It's absolutely astounding. And I believe this applies to the gifts of the Spirit. As I, as I speak to, to a church that embraces the gifts of the Spirit, like, if you're wanting to see God move through you in the miraculous, ask Him for compassion. Ask Him for compassion. And I would go so far as to say this if you are ministering in a gift of the Spirit and compassion is not in it, you're doing it wrong. You might want to write that down so you can be offended later. If you, if, if you are ministering in a gift of the Spirit and compassion is not in it, you're doing it wrong. Because everything that I see as Christ is the, the best form of theology. As he moves in compassion, we see him move in giftings. It was out of that compassion that it began. I believe that you can rebuke someone in compassion. It doesn't mean that you have to be all like, oh, everything's all great, everything's fine. No, I believe that you can walk in the gifts as it originates in compassion. Compassion. So compassion is, is, uh, is seeing beyond all of the, the, our, our own things and, and looking beyond ourselves. Um, compassion makes a difference. The second one is this. Compassion feeds the hungry. Matthew chapter 15, verse 32. Jesus called his disciples to him and said this. I have compassion. I have splachnitzomai for these people. They've already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. And then, as you read a little bit further on, he miraculously fed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread and a few fish. That's it. Compassion is seeing beyond our own needs and seeing the needs of other people. And I want you to understand this. I want you to see this in the life of Christ. Like, It was Jesus' compassion that pulled on the power of God to do the impossible. There was something on the inside of him that rose up that, that he had compassion for these people. There's nothing that he could do as a man with his own hands, but it pulled on the power of God to do the impossible. It wasn't like Jesus was just sitting there like, hey guys, look what I can do. I do this trick at parties. I can just feed everybody. Isn't this awesome? Give me anything. I'll make it, into, I'll, I'll like multiply it. No, it was, it began and originated in like It originated in a compassion for those that were hungry. It originated in seeing people that had need. And out of that, God was up to something. And we see one of the, in in my estimation, one of the most amazing miracles that I can't even wrap my head around. And it all originated with a heart of compassion. It makes a difference. The the third one is this. um, Compassion embraces the lost. Compassion embraces the lost. I think of the story of the prodigal son, if you've, uh, if you've read the story before, it essentially is a story of a father and two sons. What, the youngest son says, you know what, Dad, I'm not going to wait for you to die. I want my inheritance now, and um, I, want it, I want it in cash, and I'm going to go do my thing. And so the father gives, gives him his inheritance. He goes, and he spends it on wild living and uh, has an amazing time partying. All of a sudden, the money dries up. The friends go away, and he finds himself in, in a pig pen with pigs. And he's like, what am I doing? This is stupid. The servants of my father are treated better than this. I'm just going to go home and ask if I could just be a servant. And he starts heading home. Luke 15, verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. What did he do? He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, And kissed him. Compassion embraces the lost. I want you to understand this. Look, religion will keep you at arm's length, thinking that. Ah, the unclean's going to make the clean unclean. I just don't want to get near you. You're going to dirty me. Like, religion will say, well, I'm just going to sit here and wait for them to come on their hands and knees, groveling back in repentance. But compassion does something very different. Compassion gets a case of the I can't help myself and just starts running after somebody that all they've done is just turned and decided to start coming back home. Compassion runs and embraces and kisses the lost. Compassion makes a difference. The next one, compassion tends the flock. Matthew chapter nine, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The Bible says that right after he said this, he healed every disease and sickness. Every disease and sickness. Not some, not most, just a couple a couple of lame guys. No, it says that because of his compassion on them. He healed every disease and sickness in this crowd. Compassion helps the helpless and tends to those who are lost. And I want you to see that it was the compassion of Jesus that caused him to stay in this crowd until every disease and every sickness was healed. Compassion tends to the flock, unwilling to let one of them go. Healed every single one of them. It's the compassion of Christ. It makes a difference. The next one, compassion brings freedom to the bound. Matthew 14, 14, when Jesus landed and saw saw a large crowd, he, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Compassion makes a difference. And lastly, compassion mourns with those who mourn and celebrates with those who celebrate. Compassion mourns with those who mourn and celebrates with those who celebrate. I was, um, I was thinking of this story in John chapter 11. I started looking it up because I remember when Jesus was moved with compassion, I was like, he did this during the story of Lazarus. And so uh, if you don't know the story of Lazarus, essentially Lazarus was a, and his family were good friends of Jesus, and Lazarus got sick, and they sent for Jesus. Come, you need to pray for your friend. He's close to death. And the story goes that Jesus just took his dear sweet time getting there. I mean, he was just kind of lollygagging. He did not start like making a beeline to get to Lazarus and come to find out while he was waiting, while he was just taking his dear sweet time, Lazarus dies. Everyone's freaking out. They're like, what in the world, Jesus? I thought he was your friend and you're praying for all these other people, but like, how about family? These, this guy was like family to you and you just, you just didn't do anything. John chapter 11, verse 32 when, when Mary, Lazarus' brother, reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's mad. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, catch this, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he said. Come and see, Lord they replied. And then the shortest verse in the Bible verse 35 Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him, but some of them said, well could he could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Verse 38 Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave that had a stone laid across the entrance, and he said, "Take away the stone." And most of you know the rest of the story that um, he, stones moved and he calls forth Lazarus and Lazarus gets up all wrapped up like a mummy and like comes out of the tomb alive and everybody's like, ah, Jesus. It's like, it's an amazing time, right? And I always wondered this as, I, as I've read this story many, many times, that, that shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35, like if Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, why did he cry? It just seems it's always seemed odd to me. Like if if I were Jesus, here's what I would do. I'd probably have like a little smirk the whole time. I'd be showing up and everybody'd be freaking out. If you were here, you wouldn't have died and I'm just thinking, I just can't wait to see their face when he rises from the dead. It's gonna be awesome it's gonna yeah you know what I mean like you doubted you have little faith you know like ah like it would be one of those things that would for me I'm just sicko though I'm a sicko and so like that would be some of the stuff that would be going through my through my head and yet Jesus doesn't do any of that there's no sign that he's smiling or that he's kind of like tongue-in-cheek or anything like that he's crying as he's around all these people that are grieving and I realized this as I was praying through this that Jesus was always in the moment he was in with the people he was with. He was focused, like it's that thing that we we tend to lose in our culture today, of being in the moment that he was in with the people that he was with, and being wholeheartedly there in that moment. And if I think anybody had a lot of stuff to do, it would be Jesus. He had a pretty busy three years of ministry, right? He's done more than I've ever done in my entire life. Like, and he had lots of people to see and places to go and things to do. But here's what I know. As I read my Bible, I think that if you encountered Jesus, he saw you. He was there. You weren't an obstacle. You were the destination, As he encountered people, and as that splechnitzomai rises up on the inside of him, I think he saw you. And you weren't just an obstacle to get to somewhere else. You were the one person he wanted to talk to. You mattered to him. You mattered to him. Compassion, think about this, compassion is why God sent his son we know John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son it was compassion in the heart of God that caused him to send his one, his, only, his one and only son. It was that compassion that drove Jesus. It was that like, my that I believe he was led by from place to place to person to person. How did Jesus know where he was going to go next or who he was going to talk to? I believe he was led by that heart of compassion, the bowels of compassion that, were, that rose up in him to do what he saw the Father doing. And it is what Jesus ultimately died for. And as Christian, I want to say this to you in the most love I can. Christ calls you to live for what he died for. Pay attention to that my. Pay attention to that calling on the inside of you. And you may think, well, it's not that big of a calling. It's just to go and and give somebody, you know, an encouraging word. Pay attention to it and do it and see if God is not on the other side of your obedience. He's up to something. He's up to something. And when we choose to listen to it and to obey and to act on it, we release the power of God, the supernatural, into a situation. It's powerful. It's powerful. So, what this means for you, Christian, is this, that you have been infused with the very nature of Jesus. When We talk about the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That means that, you're, that his my dwells in you. Isn't that cool? That when we talk about Jesus, you know, the, 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 the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. I believe that the best definition of that is that my that rises up on the inside of us as the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And what that means for you, and this is good news, that means that just like Jesus, you have been infused with compassion and hope for every situation that you come into contact with. So when God starts rising up in you and you're like, well, I don't have enough money to be able to fix that problem. And I don't, I don't have enough words. I don't know the Bible well enough to be able to meet that. And I, I can't meet that need. And I, I'm not a counselor. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do in this thing. And like, I, I'm just going to kind of, maybe, maybe it's a professional. Any professional? Is there a doctor in the house, right? Is there, can we have somebody else take care of this? I just want you to understand that you have been given everything for life and godliness. In other words, you are never without means, What do I mean by that? I mean that in every situation that you encounter, Christian, if you had the love of Christ living on the inside of you, you bring hope to the hopeless. You bring healing to the hurting. You bring freedom to those in bondage. You bring food to the hungry. You bring guidance to those who are lost. We're like, but I, I don't do that. I don't, I, yes, you can. When you choose to listen to this, and to start walking in what you can do, expecting that God is going to show up in ways that you can't do. And when, we, and when we withhold that bowel of compassion, when we choose to turn ahead and say, well, somebody else will take care of it, we are actually constipating the move of God in our life. So I want to encourage you I would encourage you even today, when you sense God moving, release it. Start, start, start responding to that my rising up on the inside of us because God is on the other side of your compassion and your obedience. Why don't you stand with me? Appreciate it. We, um, if I could have the praise team come on up. We're going to do something a little different today. Um... Each and every single week, we as a staff receive prayer requests and praise reports from people. And uh, I'll be honest, sometimes it's overwhelming. The needs that come in, the prayer needs that come in. Some of you, you know, do it on NLC.today. There's a place for for prayer requests and praise reports. And some of you, those pieces of paper that you were sitting on, the connect cards, people will write those in and drop them in the offering basket or one of those baskets off the back. And every Tuesday, we gather as a staff for, our, for a staff meeting, and, and we pray over those. We we'll put those on there. We, we put them up on a, on a screen, and, and we, we pray for those prayer needs that come in and, and pray for you. And uh, we decided, you know, we're going to do something a little different today. So we've got a bunch of these prayer requests that have been coming in. Some of them we've changed um, just a little bit to be able to, you know, keep people's confidence and that kind of thing. But why don't you just put those up there right now? We got a couple, two screens of those. These are the mo- just the most recent ones that have come in. I want you to read them. I want you to read them realizing that there are people in our midst, maybe the person standing right next to you that you've never met, that is in need in this area of their life. And I love that as a church-like family, that we have the distinct opportunity and responsibility to bear one another's burdens, to, to, to have painful suffering with one another, right? That we come alongside each other. Uh. And there's so, many, there's so many needs up here for healing. And I want to give you a, a story. Just this, uh, this past week, there was a young man that uh, is related to a family here at New Life that... Um, had a stroke um, overseas and it wasn't good. He was paralyzed on his right side, sent out the prayer requests. People started praying and the miraculous happened. with it. Like that next day, he was sent home with a clean bill of health. All of his tests came back clear in the midst of it. Amen. Isn't that awesome? There, there are so many prayers up here for salvation some of them with, with people's names so many prayers for freedom I met a, I met a, a young man after service last week and um, been through really just a rough life been through a lot God has been working on him in the past couple weeks and, um, and even last week when we were talking about forgiveness he, he, he says you know what the first time ever I've been able to release forgiveness to, to that person that abused me when I was a kid Never been able to do that. God has brought freedom in his life that he never even thought was possible. There, 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 amen. You can, you can clap. Here's, here's not a cool one. I'm just giving you stuff that happened this past week. This is stuff that, that we get to, we get to celebrate. Um, there's financial needs up here, right? Just this past week, there was a woman in, in our services that, was praying about a specific need, a financial need that, that she needed to meet and, and, and it wasn't, she didn't know how she was going to be able to come up with it. And in that same worship service, an, another believer started to get a word of knowledge to give this random person, I don't even really think they'd ever met before, a very specific amount of money. So after service, she goes and she gives her this. I just feel like I was led to give this to you. Go figure, it was the exact amount of money that she'd been praying that she needed, down to the dollar, down to the dollar, it was this splenitsumai that rises up. And when we choose to say, "Well, I really me, what do I? I can't. I don't. I don't. I can't afford. I don't. I don't know. I, I, I'm going to do this." When we choose to walk in obedience to that rising up in the bowels of compassion we see God move on the other side of our obedience. And I just want to encourage you today, believer in Jesus, I want to remind you that God knows what concerns you today. He sees you, he hears you, he knows what you need, even if it doesn't even utter out of your mouth, and he knows you. And I believe that as we enter into prayer right now, I believe that this week's prayer requests will be next week's praise reports. And here's what I want to encourage you. As you've read through these, I pray that there's been one of them that has just kind of stuck out to you. Man, you know what? Like, what I've found is that many times when God has brought freedom in an area of your life, it is, is, it's easy for you to have faith for somebody else in that same area of life. So for maybe for some of you, like I've seen God move in this area of my life, you just muckle on to that one. And I just want to encourage you as we sing today, I want to encourage you to just rise up and intercede and to pray for that need. You don't even need to know their name. Because where the Bible says that two or more are gathered, you're in this place. And so, God, we just latch on to each and every single one of these prayer, prayer needs and prayer requests. Lord, we, we've we just talked about the, the praise reports just from this past week of what you've been able to do. So nothing is too big for you. Nothing is too great for you. It's too big for me, and it's too big for each and every single one of us to do. But, God, you are the one who does the impossible. And so we just listen. We we obey. We pay attention to that splat. needs so my rising up on the inside of us, refuse to turn our head, refuse to say, well, there's nothing I can do to meet that need. Jesus, we pray that you would have your way. And as we sing today, this is what I want to encourage you, as we're just lifting, the, lifting God's name up, I want you to be praying this, praying, praying, praying over these. If God starts to give you maybe a word of knowledge for something, for someone, and here's, here's the interesting thing. We were talking about this this morning. You know, sometimes you'll walk into a church and you'll have like a pain that's not yours. I mean, it is yours, but it's not. Like you've never had an elbow pain before, but all of a sudden in worship, you start to have elbow pain. Sometimes that is God speaking to you, a word of knowledge about elbow pain that you need to be praying for in somebody else. This whole idea of suffering with another person, what if it looks a whole lot more like, I've got pain that isn't mine, but it is for somebody else, and so I'm going to pray into this. I don't know what this looks like, but I'm going to obey... And, and heed this word of knowledge to pray healing over somebody else. And so as we're worshiping today, if God starts to bring this up to you, you just start praying that out. If you feel like, you know, okay, maybe I'm supposed to share this, I don't know, then, then you know, see Pastor Tom as we're worshiping so we can share this and pray this over, over us as a body of Christ. And so Lord, we lift your name up We lift you up high today. If you have a prayer need in any area of your life, I just want to encourage you, kind of make your way up along the front here. We'll have our our prayer team come along and pray God into your situation. You are not too far gone. You are not too far lost. He feeds the hungry. He heals the hurting. He, he comes alongside the lost. He embraces them. And so, Jesus, I pray you'd run after people today, that, that, that your Holy Spirit would run after them as we choose to just lift you up in this place today. I, God, I pray that those who are bound would be set free in Jesus' name. Addiction would be set free today in Jesus' name. Let's sing, church, as we lift these names up, as we lift these needs up
1: before you. Well, this week, this week is our opportunity as clay jars to go with our little nothing except a little bit of compassion God gives us. And he says, hey, I, you see that person I'm, I'm highlighting to you? And you say, yes. This is our week to say yes to the Lord, to obey that compassion and see what God pours into our clay jar as an answer for those people. If you're with me, why don't you put your hand right over your, your heart or your gut, you choose. Father, this, this day we pray once again that you would, you would cause us to be filled with all that you are. Your word says, your desire is that we'd be filled with all the fullness of God. I pray God for that fullness to touch our lives for the purpose of outflow this week, that this would be the week Lord, we would see the testimony of Jesus alive in Southern Maine more than ever before. Lord, as we follow the compassion that rises up from our very gut, Lord, we pray this week, we say, yes, Jesus, we're going to follow you. And if you believe that, why don't you just say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. Have a great week.